The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So we are continuing our study through the letter we call 2 Corinthians. That's because it's the second letter we have from Paul to the church in Corinth. And in the text that we heard read this morning, we kind of heard an inside picture of the life of the Apostle Paul. And what stood out to you as you heard that? What stood out? I wonder if it wasn't kind of the sense of the extraordinary. Number one, we heard extraordinary suffering. We all suffer a little bit, but I don't know anybody with a resume like his. Beaten to a pulp, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, on and on and on. Extraordinary suffering. Then after that, just right after that, did you hear it? We heard extraordinary experience. Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven. And it doesn't mean like there's uh, three stories in God's house and he got to visit the top. Uh, old, world of looking at, old, old way of looking at the sky was the first heaven would be like where the birds fly. Second heaven would be where the stars shine. And the third heaven is the presence of God. That's just the way... They would talk about it in common vernacular. So when he says, I went to the third heaven, what's he saying? I saw the presence of God. That's what he's saying. I don't know about you, but that's extraordinary. That's what I think. It's extraordinary. So we hear right next to one another, extraordinary suffering and extraordinary experience. What's, what's going on? What's the motivation for this kind of discussion from Paul sharing with us what he's experienced? Well, here's where we need to remember the, the backstory or the context of where we are in this letter. Here's what's important to remember. Number one, there's a fight for the heart of this church. There's a fight for the soul of this church. So years before, Paul had traveled to the city of Corinth, and he told people the gospel, told people about Jesus, who he is, what he's done. Some people believed that gospel. And with those people, God formed what? A church, a, a, a picture of his family. By the way, that's, that's why church is important, right? We're God's family in the gospel. And so God had formed a church through that message of the gospel in Corinth. Anyway, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, some new leaders were sneaking into the church. Some new leaders were, were gaining influence and authority. And they started teaching, we looked at this specifically last week, a different gospel, a different Jesus, a different way of looking at the world. And part of how they did this was to demean and despise and slander Paul. And can you think of why they would have to do that? Paul preached one message. They want to preach a different message. Paul influenced them one way. They want to influence them another way. In order to cut a wedge between that old way of thinking in this church, what else do they need to cut? They need to cut the church's relationship with the apostle. So they're going to demean him and deny him, while at the same time they're going to be making their own boasts, saying to the church, hey, we're the ones who've had the visions. We're the ones with the pedigree. We're the ones who are successful we are the ones who have experienced all these things. And obviously the argument is this. Hey, church in Corinth, who should you trust? Don't trust Paul. Trust us. 
So what are these teachers doing? They're boasting. They're boasting. What's Paul supposed to do in response? It's an awkward situation, isn't it? Have you ever had to um, persuade with someone to trust you? You got to trust me. You ever, have you ever tried to do that? It sounds like you're tooting your own horn at some point, doesn't it? You should trust me. I've always, I've always loved you. I've always been there for you. If you really love this person, you don't want to have to say that because you don't want to be like, burr, 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 I'm amazing. But that's not your point. Your point is, just look, right? Just look. I, in a way, you have to do eh, this kind of awkward boasting. That's what Paul's doing here. For the sake of the church, Paul has to answer the claims of these other teachers. And he has to argue for, for his own trustworthiness. And you can see how you, as you read this that he hates doing this. It's awkward. He doesn't want to do it. But he has to boast. Here's the thing. The false teachers are boasting. He has to boast. But he's going to boast in a totally different way. A totally different way. A surprising way. That's where we are today, okay? Fighting for the heart of the church. Paul has to boast. He's going to boast in a different way. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, what on earth does this have to do with me? Who cares? Well, here's the issue. This passage is about what kind of boast is worth boasting in. Um, you see that the word boast is used 13 times in our passage. Did you notice? Boast, 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 boasting, boast. That gives you a clue, right? What's the passage about? Boasting. Okay. So here's the question for you. Here's the question for me. Where's your boast? What do you boast in? And you might say, I don't, I don't have a boast. I don't boast in anything. I don't think that's true. In fact, I don't think that's possible. I don't think it's possible. Let me back up a minute. What do, what do we mean by boast? What are we talking about? Obviously, sometimes if you've met somebody who's just really cocky, what do we say that they're doing all the time? You hear them talk, right? I, 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 me, 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 I, 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 me. Um, right? Maybe you've done that. or you. I'm sure none of you have done that. But you may have known someone who's done it. Right? We're talking for a friend or however that goes. Uh, boasting. And so what is that person doing? You don't always know. At first you're just annoyed. But sometimes you think, why do they need to interrupt every story with a better story of themselves? Why are they always telling everyone how great they are? Do you, ever, do you ever just press into that a little bit and be like, what's going on in their heart? Why do they need to do this? What is it? Here, here's my guess, and I know because I've been that person. We're all in a quest for a sense of significance. We're all on a quest for a sense of significance. We want to know that we have value, that we have worth, that we belong. We want to know that we have some importance. We want to know that we're lovable, that we're desirable, that we're respectable, and we want it real bad. Real bad. You ever done some service, people didn't thank you, you were angry? Yes, Pastor Matt, we have. Why were you angry? You were looking for something more than just the opportunity to serve. What were you looking for? 
You wanted praise and respect. You wanted other people to recognize your significance. And when they didn't, it messed with you. Maybe you responded with discouragement. Maybe you responded with anger. We responded in different ways. But do you see it still hit a button? It still hit this need. We all long for significance. Your boast is where you land in that quest. It's where your ship hits the shore, you think, and you're like, ah, here. Here's where I have it. So what are some things do you think people look for significance in? And again, you know, we're just speaking for a friend, not you. I'm attractive. That's a place of significance. Uh, the The opposite sex finds me attractive or desirable. I'm a good friend. People can lean on me. That's who I am. I'm intelligent. I've gotten good grades. I'm successful and a hard worker. Whenever I'm in something, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to succeed. Or I'm a rebel. My significance is that no, none of you can tell me where my significance is. What's another one? Uh, I'm religious. Did you see how much I served? Never missed a service. I'm single and free. Or I'm devoted to my family. I'm a devoted mother. Or I'm a loyal child. This is what I want to ask you. What's your boast? What is your boast? Now, please, be honest. We're all at church. I'm so glad you're here. You're going to be tempted to write down what you think you know your boast should be. Okay? A lot of you could probably answer that. But I'm not asking you what your boast should be. I'm asking you, what are you tempted towards? So maybe write it down on a, if you've got a bulletin or um, one of these outlines or one of those cards. Think about it. Where, where are you tempted to put your boast? When you're looking for significance, your value, your worth, your place, how do you know you have one? Where do you land that ship? That's your boast. And as we've seen, it could be a million things. Here's what's dangerous about it. It's probably a really good thing that you've made an ultimate thing. You know, if any of you are like, I boast that I'm the greatest thief in Orange County, (laughs) we should have a talk, right? I bet that's not what any of you put. You put something, probably, that's good. But maybe you've made it everything. What's your boast? This is what we're thinking about this morning, because Paul's going to give us the an example, a shocking example, a surprising example. He's going to show us the only thing that's worth your boast. The only thing that's worth your boast. So we're going to go through this in uh, three ways, okay? Number one, we're going to look at the broken boast. It's the broken boast. It's the one we all tend towards and it doesn't work. We're going to see that in this passage. Number two, we're going to see the surprising boast. Paul's going to boast in something and we're going to be like, What? I didn't anticipate that. You're boasting in the part of life that I would have tried to hide. 
surprising boast, and that's going to lead us to see the ultimate boast. And so what I hope um, the Lord wants to do in each one of us today, because nobody's immune from this problem, what I hope the Lord wants to do in each one of us today is that you'd be able to recognize uh, the broken boast you might tend to run towards. That you'd be able to see it clearly, because sometimes the problem is it's, it's there in our hearts and our minds, but we've never named it, we've never noticed it. Uh, and we need, we need to shine a light on it and be like, oh, hmm. So to, to see that. And then, and then just kind of have Paul hold our hands a little bit, in a way, as we see his example. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord could help us stand more firmly on the ultimate boast. Because the beauty is, um, it's offered to each one of us. You can go out of here today with a deeper and more awesome and more amazing and more real sense of significance than maybe you ever dreamed. Anyway, let's, let's walk through the passage together. First, the broken boast. We're going to see that a little bit in 16 to 18. Chapter 11, 16 to 18. So we've seen so far your boast is where you land in your quest for significance. We're going to look now at the broken boast. 16 to 18. So Paul says, Let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What am I saying with this boastful confidence? I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool, since many boast according to the flesh. Pause. The broken boast is the boast that's according to the flesh. Now, we all have a bit of a challenge here because that's a very churchified word. You probably got the idea that doing things according to the flesh is bad, but you may have forgotten why. Does God hate bodies? No, your body's good. God likes bodies. He made bodies. What is the meaning of this word, flesh? Often, very often, for Paul, flesh means a self-centered pride. A self-centered pride in the implications of that attitude, according to the flesh. So it tends to be God-less. God's not in the picture. It tends to be all about you somehow. It tends to be what you and your pride think you have or have accomplished. It's a self-centered pride. And Paul says, many boast according to the flesh. So this, this boast, again, what's the boast? Where we land in our quest for, help me, significance, we tend to want to find our significance by boasting in the flesh, which represents a self-centered pride, what we have or what we think we've accomplished, okay? This is what the false teachers are doing, isn't it? Hey, guys, we have the pedigree. We have the messages. We have the results. We have the visions. Look at who we are. <laughs> We're awesome. That's what the false teachers are saying. Therefore, you should trust us. Amazingly, look at what this creates in the relationship between the false teachers and the church. You can see it in verse 19. So Paul, he's being somewhat ironic. He's like, hey, church, bear with me. Verse 19, you, bear, you gladly bear with fools. Who are the fools he's talking about that they're bearing with? The false teachers. And why are the false teachers so foolish? Because they boast in the flesh. First clue, 
Boasting in the flesh, is that going to have wisdom? Is that going to take care of you? Or is it going to be foolish? It's going to be foolish. It's going to be broken. Two reasons it doesn't work. Number one, boasting in the flesh, again, a, a prideful sense of what you have or what you've accomplished, is broken, number one, because it enslaves. It enslaves. Why is it broken? It enslaves. Look at verse 20. Paul's talking about how these teachers are treating the church. In verse 20, he says, You bear it if someone makes what? Slaves of you, or devours of you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. How are these teachers, how are these teachers treating this church? Are they there to serve or are they there to be served? Be served. Be served. And they're actually eating this church alive. The false teachers are enslaving the church because of their prideful boast. Now back to, uh, okay, what, what's, your, what's the prideful boast you tend towards? Again, it's a sense of what you've accomplished, who you are, what you have, a boast in yourself. Do you think that, is this too strong to say that a prideful boast enslaves others? But what if your boast is that you're attractive? What do you, what do you need? Say, that, say that's your boast. What do you need um, from the opposite sex to keep that boast rolling? Attention, words, affection, desire, okay? And so do you love them for who they are or what they offer, or are you using them for your boast? You're making slaves of them all. Or you're smart, you're intelligent, that's your boast. What are you going to do in conversations? What are you going to do when you know more than somebody else? You're going to show them. You're going to make sure they see it, that you know the answer. Are you loving people and serving people, or what are you doing? You're enslaving them. They're controlling you. Or, or if you're, this one could hit close to home. What if your boast is a good Christian family? not a bad thing, right? It's a good thing. But what if that's your ultimate boast? Then what do your kids better do when they're in public, man? They better behave. Because what on earth could happen if they didn't and everybody saw it? All of a sudden, your motive for your kids' behavior, is it for their love for Jesus? It's for your boast. You're enslaving them. All in the name of Jesus. I think if you test this, I think every boast will work this way. Every boast. So there's, none of it, there's nobody who's immune to this. I hope you're able to recognize, hey, I tend towards this kind of a fleshly boast. Now I want you to ask yourself, how am I enslaving other people with it? How am I enslaving other people? Maybe your boast is more of an insecure one. It's hard to find those. I just need to be accepted. I need to be accepted. Right? I just want to belong, Okay? I'm not demanding anything of anyone, except that when I come, they accept me according to my expectations. Because if they don't, there ain't nobody friendly in that church. Are you there to love and serve people, or are you enslaving them? Every prideful boast enslaves. 
Why does it enslave? Because it is itself enslaved. Because we are enslaved. I have to have this boast to be significant. It owns me. It owns me. And that's why I have to use these other people to get this thing. It's a boast in the flesh, and it's broken. Do you see how it's broken? This is deep stuff, and it hits all our insecurities and all our pride. And man, when you really get angry, when you really go crazy, somebody hit your false boast. And they didn't give you what you thought you needed. And out it comes. Because it, it touched on this personal thing. Am I significant at all? Am I respectable at all? Do I value at all? And man, when, when you long for it and you don't get it, ugh, it's all going to come out. The, fesh, the fleshly boast is broken because it's enslaved. There's another reason it's broken. It comes in what Paul's going to say next. The fleshly boast is broken, secondly, because it fails. It fails. It fails. It fails. It fails. What happens? It fails. Okay? You want to be attractive. Right now, you're young and beautiful and attractive. What do you think, uh, more mature members? How long do they need to wait? How long do you need to wait? Okay? Guess what's going to happen to your young attractiveness? Right? Speak. Some of you, yeah. It's going to fail. If, you're, if, you're, if your boast is in your attractiveness, what, you are going to be left with no significance. If your boast is in your intelligence, old age will just humble all of us. What happens to your intelligence? Well, number one, you're going to run into somebody smarter than you. And number two, your mind's going to, going to run out of juice. What now? Where's your significance? Or if your boast is in having a great family, guess what happens? Guess what's going to happen to those beautiful kids? They're going to leave, and their life's not going to be all about you anymore. It's going to be all about all sorts of other stuff. What's going to happen to your significance if your significance is in your kids? And on and on and on. If you boast in something of the flesh, it will fail, and you will be left with no significance. It's broken. It's broken. So I hope you can recognize where the fleshly boast you are tempted towards. I hope you can see how it's broken because number one, it what? Enslaves. And number two, it fails. Let's look now at the surprising boast. The surprising boast. Let's get surprised by Paul. You know, a couple times we see he, he could have boasted in who he is and what he's done like these other apostles. He could have. He starts, look at the uh, 1121. Paul says, whatever anybody else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? Good Jewish folks raising the faith? What, what could Paul say to that? Check. In Galatians, he, could, he pulls out, I was taught by Gamaliel. So that means, according to Pharisee standards, A plus at Harvard, Okay. You want to boast about that? So am I. Israelites, check. Offspring of Abraham's, check. Servants of Christ, has Paul served Jesus a little bit? Check. All these accomplishments, and yet, will he boast in those? Will he boast in those? I'm not boasting in that, Paul says. So this is a good one for all the Christian-y people of us. Man, have you served Jesus? 
Have you, have you learned of him? Have you done things? Awesome. Do you boast in that? Careful. Careful. It's not his boast. Look at verse 30. If I must boast, here's the surprise. I will boast of the things that show my, what is it? Weakness. I thought that's the, I thought that's the stuff we're supposed to hide. Some people don't like church. They don't want to go to church because at church, everybody has it all, what? Together. So church is a club for us to come and pretend like we have no weaknesses. Oh, at home, my children never fight. We always have the joy of the Lord. Uh, hallelujah. I... The blood of a lamb is atoned for my iniquities. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Have it all together. Uh, and in life, what do we do? We keep a front up on people. What do, what do we want people? It's probably appropriate most of the time. You, sh- you shouldn't dump out your, your closet on everybody every time you meet somebody. But yet, here he is. He, what's he going to talk about? What's he, where's he going to boast? Weakness. It's amazing. It's amazing. Shocking. You see how his, diff- his boast is different than the uh, false apostles? They're like, hey, we have it all together. We're awesome. Paul's like, let me show you my suffering. Let me show you my suffering. And we saw the amazing list. Um, it would be worthwhile to walk through each one of these, but we really can't for time this morning. But you see in verses 23 to 27, what do you got in there? Uh, imprisonments, countless beatings, countless beatings. He can say this with a straight face. What has he suffered? I can't tell you how many times a mob has beaten me up. Often near death. Often. Regularly. Forty lashes less one from the Jews. They would beat the tar out of somebody. And they had stuff around in case they lost their physical control. Um... Control their bowels is what I mean. They would just beat you so horribly. Three times beaten with rods. One stone. You can read about that in Acts. Stoned and left for dead. That's got to be an awful way to die. How many rocks does it take? You're just waiting for the right size rock at the right place. Other than that, it's a long afternoon. He was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. I'm a little scared to surf lately. Have you heard of it? There's like a great white party happening off the coast. Can you imagine being shipwrecked a night and a day adrift at sea? Ooh, just floating there. On and on. Frequent journeys, danger, 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 danger. Toil and hardship. Then he talks about not only that, um, look at verse 28. I think it's amazing. Apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who's weak and I'm not weak? who's made to fall, and I'm not indignant. You know, one thing he doesn't mention there is numbers, attendance numbers. What does he care about? Hearts. He cares about hearts. When people he's led to the Lord aren't loving the Lord and following the Lord, he's worried by that. He's bothered by that. He's hurt. Then he finishes with this story. I kind of think he has a half smile on his face as he writes this. 
Verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eratos was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. You know, I, I have a bad week if I know somebody's mad at me, then I have to talk to them about it. Does that bother anybody else? In the shower, you're playing through the debate that might happen. You're, you're trying not to think of the nasty thing somebody might say. Maybe it's a problem only I have. I'm gonna, anybody else, one or two people, please, okay, you join me, thank you, thank you. Can you imagine having a whole city wanna kill you? And it's just, I can't imagine the burden of that kind of controversy. And then he says, I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall. And, and you might think, why does he mention this last? Because it doesn't sound as bad as some of the other stuff. And uh, I read one commentator, and he says, he thinks it's kind of like this. He's kind of like half smirking it. Let me boast of my weakness. I was treated like a fish in a basket. It was like I was a fish in a basket. Everybody hates me, and I'm running away in the dark. And there's little Paul in this basket, you know, the little guys with the rope, trying not to let it down too fast. And he's sneaking off into the bushes. That's, that's his uh, glamorous apostolic life. Is that surprising? You know, one thing I love here is that there's urban legend that uh, Christianity grew out of power and that all the apostles were apostles because, hey, it was an awesome 401k, right? <laughs> Got months of, months of vacation, sabbaticals, a book fund, you know, all this other stuff. You read this. Was the apostle Paul spreading the gospel for um, cash and comfort? Why was he doing this? Why was he doing this? There, there couldn't have been a selfish motive because this is not my idea of a good time. It's because he, the one who hated Jesus, saw the resurrected Jesus and had his life totally changed. Totally changed. This is legit, you guys. This is a real story right here. That Jesus came for us. So, the, fesh, the fleshly boast is broken. It enslaves and fails, right? The surprising boast is Paul's going to point to his weakness, and that's going to lead us to the ultimate boast. 12, 1 to 4. So, we saw Paul's um, extreme suffering. Now, we're going to see this extreme experience. Verses 1 to 4. I must go on boasting. There's nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And he talks about himself, like from a distance, but he's, he's obviously talking about himself. And what did he see? He says, I don't even know if it was a vision or if I was actually there. God knows. But I was caught up into paradise, and I heard things that can't be told. What did he see? He had access somehow into the presence of God. Somehow, he had access into the presence of God. Amazing. Now, you'd think if you had one of those, you could boast about it, right? Hey, guys, uh, I know we're having this discussion about truth, what we should do with this church, but let me just tell you, I've seen paradise. What does that tend to do to most uh, discussions? Oh, okay then. <laughs> Paul won't boast in it. He won't boast in it. 
This is a clue we all, we all need to keep with us for when we consider Christian leaders or Christian books. Look what he says down in verse 6. Though if I wish to boast about this vision, I would not be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth. So could he boast about having this vision? He could because guess what? He had the vision, but he won't do it. End of verse 6, why? So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. You know what happens when you boast about God telling you something? What happens? Christian speakers do this all the time. I don't mean from scripture. I mean like they claim a revelation. Hey, God told me this. Uh, by the way, what, ha- what happens to discussion after that? Is there any further discussion? Well, if, if God told you, then what can we do? Discussion's over. But, but there's a danger with the whole God told me thing. What if he didn't? Look at Paul's example. Should a Christian leader ever bank their trustworthiness on a vision they saw? Or should they say, look at my life and look at my teaching? Should they bank on their experience or their example? Example. You know, it's amazing. If, if Paul was somebody a little different in today's world, how many book deals would he have about his vision? The vision of Paul. Page turner. We have a revelation here. Do you even get to hear what he heard? Does he, even, does he even tell you what he saw? Nothing. And yet in our Christian world, if somebody has a dream overnight, what, it becomes a book, and we're all changed by it. That, that's a hint that it, maybe you should be a little suspicious because the people who have legit experiences of God tend to be shy about them. And they want their legitimacy to be built on the example of their life and what they teach and not an experience they had. Anyway, you've seen his resume, right? He's a teacher. He's playing at churches. Is he going to boast in it? No. He's had a vision of heaven. Is he going to boast in it? No. The apostle won't even boast in his vision of heaven. Is that a good thing, a vision of heaven? Yes. Is it his boast? No. Wow. What's going on? Look at verse 7. Here's where it gets real. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing revelations a thorn was given me in the flesh. Paul, are you saying that even apostles can be tempted to boast in the wrong thing? Is that what he's saying? Yes. Is it tempting even for an apostle to take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing? Yes. How much more so for me and you? And we see here this amazing reality. What did, Paul, what, what did God give Paul? Merry Christmas, Paul. Keep me from becoming succeeded because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A, what was given? A thorn was given. In the flesh. It could be a stake. Does that sound comfortable? A stake. A, th- a thorn. Piercing you. Cutting you. Hurting you. And let's really take this seriously. Who gave this to Paul? Who gave the thorn to Paul? God gave it to him. God gave him a thorn. A couple questions. What was the thorn? 
We don't know. We don't know. There's some theories out there. We don't know. And you know what? I'm glad we don't know because we're supposed to, we're, we're supposed to be able to plug our own experience in here. We don't know. But here's what we do know. Does God give his people thorns? Yes. Are thorns uncomfortable? Yes. Are they difficult? Yes. If you only watch TV preachers, you may never have heard this before. God gives people thorns. Now we got some more questions. What does he say about the thorn? A thorn given me in the flesh, last part of seven. A messenger of Satan? Wait, 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 wait. I thought God gave the thorn. But it's Satan? Hmm. Not just Satan, it's a, what's the word, something of Satan? A messenger. What do messengers do? They talk. They talk. Tim Keller gave the illustration that um, thorns come with attachments. And he was speaking from the perspective of email. You ever send an email with an attachment? Here, read this. Attach, okay? For some of you, email is a thing, a communication thing that some people do on computers. It comes with an attachment, a document. Here, read this. Thorns come with an attachment, a message, a message. So here's the thorn. We don't, we don't know what Paul's thorn was. Some, some people think it was an, uh, going blind. Some people think it was, it was other health things. Some people think it was the false teachers. Other think, people think it could have been a, a hard temptation with a certain uh, pattern of sin. Some people think it could be discouragement. Again, we don't know. But any of those things... Uh, have any of you ever had an experience in your life that felt like a thorn? If you haven't, I really want to talk to you because I want to know what that's like. Like, really? You've never? Anything to dis- discourage you that was difficult for you that wouldn't seem to, it wouldn't go away. You didn't know how to deal with it. It was, it was hard. It comes with an attachment. Every thorn comes with a message. What does Satan want to say in the message? A messenger of Satan to harass me. So, what's the message sometimes that comes with your suffering? And if you think about it in line with your significance, oh, it kind of makes sense. Life's going hard, it's not going the way you want. How must God feel about you? He's not here anymore. God's not listening to me anymore. God doesn't care about me anymore, or as you lose these things that you thought that brought significance to your life, I don't know if I have any significance, I don't know if I belong anymore, I used to be young and healthy and active and smart and attractive and, and successful and, and family oriented and, and I'm losing it, what's left? And the messenger of Satan says, well, it's because you are worthless, it's because you're condemned, it's because you're not good enough. It's meant to discourage you, to distract you. What's God saying? Because a thorn comes with two attachments, Paul says. One is the message from the one who hates you. But there's another attachment. Look what Paul says in verse 7. 
to keep me from becoming, what? Conceited. Conceited. To keep me from becoming conceited. This is the language of protection. Did God forget Paul or hate Paul because of this thorn? Or was this thorn a picture of God's anger or a lack of love for Paul? Or was it the exact opposite? The thorn was there from God to do what? To protect Paul. To protect him. And if you believe this, this will change your attitude about things. Matt, are you telling me that sometimes because God loves me, he protects me by sending me something very, very difficult that keeps me from going into somewhere that's even worse? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Matt, are you telling me that my suffering could be God's love keeping me from a prideful boast that will lead me to slavery and failure? Is he keeping me safe by hurting me? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's saying. What would you boast in, folks, if you got everything you wanted? What would you boast in if you got everything you wanted? It wouldn't be Jesus. And therefore, it would be of the flesh. And it would enslave you, and it would fail you. But God loves us, and he gives us thorns. He gives us thorns. How did Paul discover this? He discovered it through prayer, I think. What's he doing with this thorn? Three times, what's he say? Hey, could you get the thorn out of my side, please? It hurts. Can you take the thorn out, please? It hurts. Hey, by the way, it's a good reminder. Is it okay to pray that God removes thorns? You bet it is. Does he remove them sometimes? Sure he does. Pray for it. But while that thorn is there, remember there's two messages with it. One is from the Satan that wants to ruin you, and the other is from the Lord that he wants to protect you. You've got to pray this out. You pray this out, and this is where Paul landed. It's the ultimate boast. Look at verse 9. What did God say to Paul as he prayed? God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Why does Paul give the surprising, the shocking boast in weakness? Well, here's why. When you're strong, who do you need? Or who do you feel like you need? Nobody, because you're strong. When you're weak, what do you all of a sudden discover? <laughs> I have needs. So there's weakness of uh, realizing your sin. Your sin, I've sinned against God. It wasn't just an accident. I'm a rebel. I deserve, I deserve his punishment. And what do you do in that weakness? Well, you're called, cry out to who? 
Jesus, he lived a perfect life for you, died on the cross for you, rose from the dead for you. Is his grace enough for the weakness of your sin? Yes. We find God's power there in God's love. Remember Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Any, any of you in here, you know hard times and weakness is part of what drove you to trust Jesus. I have yet to hear this testimony. I won the lottery and became a Christian the next day. I realized the gospel must be true. Maybe it exists out there. I've never heard it. I have heard I wrecked everything. I lost everything. I made a mistake. I realized I needed something more. I've heard that one. Boasts in weakness because there we see our need and who shows up as the giver, the provider. Paul says, God, I can't make it with this thorn. It, it's tearing me down. It's beating me up. And, and God says, you're right. You wouldn't make it on your own. But my what? My grace is enough. And when you rely on my love for you, guess what you discover? Power. Power. When you rely on God's love for you in Christ, you discover power. Why does Paul boast in his weaknesses? Is it because we love weakness and suffering and we just seek it for its own sake? No. No, I don't like weakness and suffering. But it has, it's, it's good medicine. We can boast in our weakness because what do we find there? We get to the point where it says, I didn't have enough, but... And what do we say? But Jesus, but Jesus, he's loved me. He's with me. He takes care of me. He's got promises for me. He's given me his Holy Spirit. What's the ultimate boast, everybody? Look at 2 Corinthians 10, 17. 2 Corinthians 10, 17. Will you read this with me? What's it say? Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What's the ultimate boast? Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Now, if a fleshly boast enslaves, right? Oh, I need these people. I need this to fill my significance. How does Jesus turn that around? Uh, test this. Because you each have a boast. You're looking for somewhere for significance. Can Jesus really give you the significance that you need? And we're looking to all these things to find worth, value, identity, hope, future, meaning. We're looking to all these things, and they, and they make us little slaves, and we use other people as little slaves, and they fail in the end, hopeless, no significance. And yet, what does Jesus say to you when you trust in him? That God Almighty delights in you. That God Almighty has a name for you. Daughter, son, beloved, that God Almighty wants to share with you in what he's doing in creation, to where every thought and word and deed can have infinite significance because you do it for the glory of Jesus Christ and is remembered and celebrated forever. You cannot have a higher significance than the one God gives to you in Jesus Christ. And it will 
rather than enslave you, it will liberate you and liberate those around you. Because when you're filled with the love of God for you in Jesus, right? And don't forget this. Paul said, my great, or God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Which means if you're going to make it through the thorn, you have to be convinced that God what? Loves you. Grace is God's love. If you're convinced that God loves you through Christ, not based on what you have in yourself, not based on your successes and what you could do, totally based on the beauty and perfection of Jesus. It means you're not a slave anymore. You don't have to earn it because guess what? It's already been given. It's already been given. So now you, now you go to serve a church. Are you doing it so everybody can come around you and say, thank you. We needed you so much. Thank you. We thank you. Do you need that anymore? Hey, it's still nice. We all need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged. But is that, need to, is that why you do it anymore? No, who are you there for? The Lord. The Lord. He loves what you're doing. You're set free from being a significant slave because you have what you need in Christ. And will it ever, would it, will it ever fail you? You're not smart anymore, you're not strong anymore, you're not healthy anymore, you're not serving anymore, you're not anything anymore one day. And all your sense of significance in yourself will be over and gone and turned to dust. But who will you still have? Jesus. And he will never fail you. He will never fail you. Where are you gonna boast? There's only one place worth your boast. So you figure it out, you pray it out, you read God's word, work it out, but you trade that fleshly boast that will enslave you and fail you. You trade that mess. Trade it for who? Trade it for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for offering yourself to us. Thank you for giving us what we need. Thank you that we don't have to strive to find our significance or our value anymore. Thank you that we don't have to use people and be used anymore. Thank you that we are loved in the perfection of who you are and what you've done. Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray that we'd be able to find our significance, Lord, in you and what you've done. And I pray that would change how we relate with the world, and it would change our hearts and our minds. Give us great joy and peace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.